Hello, everyone. Welcome back to LA Not So Confidential. This is Dr. Shiloh, and I am virtually here with... Dr. Scott. How's it going? Hey. Wow. We, um, we're we just going to sort of get into our topic this week, but we have a little bit of a pattern going here in talking about stalking in 2021. Well, who knew that there would be so many different kinds? I know. We started off with the Night Stalker and then our episode last week with Women in Crime. How fun was that, by the way? Yeah, that was great. That was really great for a number of reasons because it continues. And certainly if you have had a chance to listen, please go back and listen to that episode. I'm very proud of the work that we did with them. I love collaborating with Amy and Megan. They're just such talented people. and. I love that their perspective has a completely different paradigm than ours. There's overlap, but there's so much stuff that they do differently. Right. And one of the the most interesting things was for anybody that's listening is that there was one listener in the who in the original episode that Amy and Megan did on Cindy James, a Canadian woman in the 80s who was stalked or said she was stalked and died tragically was that one of the theories was that she had DID and that one of her alters might have been hurting herself. And we got into this debate about like whether or not that was actually a thing. Now, I'm not a DID expert, but now I got really fascinated by it. And she said, Amy said that they had received a research article affirming that this was a thing that alters could hurt. And there was like, you know, all they did a study. Right. And I was reading through it and I was like, and I'm not a stats person. I mean, I just like, I had to teach myself and be taught by my friend Jason stats for my dissertation. But as I'm reading through it, there's a telling paragraph at the end that struck me. And I was like, okay, if I'm reading this correctly, it's saying that there's a huge overlap percentage wise of borderline personality individuals in this study who were Mm self-harming. And so I I put it out to a whole network of psychologists and everybody jumped on going, yeah, borderline's doing the heavy lifting. Right. So it's, it's more of a symptom of the borderline personality disorder than the DID. It certainly seems like it. If that's even existing, you know, for that person. So, right. Somebody had this great quote from Marsha Linehan. Marsha Linehan is a fantastic psychologist who's been around forever. She is the go-to person for the theory, the research, and the treatment protocol for borderline personality disorder. And she does work with borderlines and people with DID. And the rule, and she's a hard ass in her treatment. Like, she's not a soft, cuddly therapist. She's a hard ass therapist and very successful. And one of the things that she says is the rule in here is that whoever's in the room today of your alters, you're all using one name and everybody's doing the homework. Wow. Nobody's getting out of it. (laughs) Right. Which I think is super cool. Well, and then also we had a suggestion by a listener on Twitter who said, hey, the podcast Dark Poutine did an episode, they're out of Canada, clearly, um, on Cindy James. And I went back and listened to that and there was a lot more attention-seeking behaviors from Cindy James in her youth. She was um, basically like a military brat. She moved all over the place. She 
had just, I'll let people listen to it, but there was some, what sounded like compulsive lying going on to get attention of her parents, including making up deaths about people. So I think that's a huge missing piece that we well, yeah, would lend I mean, to what we were talking about. I'm, I'm glad that the, the conjecture that we presented was looking at possibilities and on on the information we had. And I would say that from what you and I came up with, I don't think that contradicts any of what you're telling me, but I'm going to go back and listen to it. We should put up that link. We'll put up the link um, on Facebook and on our um, show notes for Dark Poutine for sure. more background information on her. But back to, well, actually, this does fit in because Cindy James was allegedly a victim of a stalker. Right. Right. But we're talking about a different kind of stalking today that is like many of our show subjects that we've covered are areas of psychology and criminal phenomenon that I was only tangentially aware of. This is not something I've done a deep dive into. And now that I've done a deep dive into it, I'm understanding some of the referrals I get in my day job and working with law enforcement. I'm understanding those a lot better. I had not heard of gang stalking. Again, here you bring me this wonderful topic that I just had had not been on my radar at all. And I'm so excited to get into it because it does feel like another branch off of things that we've talked about before, but it feels so sad for the individuals that suffer from this. I am so glad you said that, Shiloh. I This is a different feeling from any of the other shows. I mean, what are we? We're on 63 now. I have never felt this kind of sadness, and it's particularly because there is no insight into the illness at all, and these people are incredibly high-functioning. They have enough insight to know that something is going on, but not enough to know that they are experiencing a delusional disorder, and it's it's tragic when you hear these stories. It's yeah. really tragic. It really is. It, it. I was listening to something else on it on the way home, and just picturing what what do we do for these people? And, you know, if this were somebody that walked in my door in a clinical setting, how would I go about that? I think you and I probably think through that scenario a lot. And it just, it felt kind of hopeless. Well, I think we talk about that towards the end because there's, there's not, a, there are not a lot of options, but right. we can talk about some of the the protocol that I discussed with one of the VA doctors, one of the VA psychiatrists I've been collaborating with on on a couple of cases. And certainly there's another VA psychiatrist who's written extensively about this that we're going to be pulling from that I encourage everybody, please go read our source material on this show because it is fascinating and easy reads. There's nothing like too crazy stats driven um, that will drive anybody away. But anyway, so gang stalking. So about, I mean, this has been going on likely just because it is a form of mental illness and delusional disorder. It's been going on for a long time and has unfortunately, or fortunately, maybe it depends on your perspective, it hasn't come to the surface because individuals who experience this, and I I try and stay away from the word suffer because suffer is such a value-laden word, but individuals who experience this have not been able to connect online in the way 
hey, I'm a car lover. I'm going to go join in a group that um, discusses cars or sports or dance or paint my numbers or ukulele. This is what the internet has brought us. The dark side is that people can create their own bubble echo chamber with no dissenting voices. And this is one particular experience where people push away the dissenting voices and don't want to hear it. So 15 years ago, a term was coined called gang stalking. In other words, it's uh, by self-described individuals who name themselves targeted individuals or TIs. Now, these individuals are claiming to be followed, surveilled, harassed, and otherwise victimized by unknown forces that wield high-tech weapons of mind control. Not all of the people who identify as TIs believe that they are have implants or that there are high-tech weapons being used. They may very well believe that there's just a cadre or an organization of individuals that are constantly following them and harassing them. So, so it's it's a collective, it is organized, and they are the subject, the target of this harassment. Yes. Okay. Yes. So very little information was known for the first decade of this phenomenon and it, because it was low profile. And then once people were able to start gathering on the web, it really exploded and exploded into a level of mainstream that in many ways is much more organized because we're going to use the word organized a lot in today's episode, but use it in different ways because organization in mental health terms and diagnostic terms can mean a really advanced level of functioning, organized thought, organized behavior, as opposed to disorganized thought and disorganized behavior. Like several of our past topics that have covered various aspects of psychosis, this one, like we said, veers into a completely different arena. So Shiloh, you were saying you had not heard of this. Again, I kind of had heard of it and I just lumped it in with sort of general delusional disorder and paranoia. Like yes. the paranoia that comes generally from some kind of diagnosis of schizophrenia. Exactly. That's, that's, again, like when I was thinking about this in a real applied setting, I thought I would have just shoveled this person underneath that big umbrella. And now I actually want to do a presentation for the other psychologists that I work with on this, that it's its own little slice out of delusional disorder. And I, who knows what the sequelae or the, the nascence of it is, where it comes from. I think that there are a lot of different traumatic events and brain structure that probably lead to this. So let's see, what did we start out with that we talked about? Okay, we didn't know anything about Q when we started <laughs> talking about Q. Oh, we didn't know anything about incels until we started. Right. And this feels similar in the same way that it has the potential to explode. Is this going to be the thing of 2021? I don't know. Let's see. Six months from now, right? everywhere. <laughs> right. So one of the things that's very interesting about the phenomenon of targeted individuals and gang stalking is that there is, while there is a real seriousness and earnestness and desperation and pain in these individuals, they don't feel or present as affectively over the top like some hardcore Q individuals can with incels who have who are struggling with interpersonal relationship issues and skills these people are able to relate certainly very well with each other although they very quickly become isolated from people who cannot accept what their experience is 
So once again, going back to what you and I were talking about is this very, very sad experience of not being able to connect and be open and authentic with family members because the family members don't know how to deal with this belief system. Exactly. Once again, yeah, the belief system that they're always being monitored and harassed and followed. And if if you had a family member that is otherwise seemingly very normal, nothing like this has popped up before. It's not like you've had to deal with this over and over again. And they come to you and tell you that cars are following them and there's helicopters overhead and they are being targeted and they know it. I wouldn't know what to say to that. And when people don't know what to say... They want to lower their own anxiety because of the situation, right? So they're dismissive right. or blaming or a whole number of things that we do. Or we frustrated, how- like, yeah. get, you know, snap out of it, you know, don't be crazy, and which doesn't work. Whoa. We'll talk a little bit about that at the end to, to talk about how you can interact with people that I think will be actually pretty good advice for any time you're dealing with somebody that is difficult in this way. One of the things that I learned about myself in doing this study is that I deal with chronically and severely mentally ill people almost on a daily basis. And what I'm used to seeing is people that are so ill, but generally very aware and insightful of their illness and somewhat insightful of their own limitations. And you just sort of accept that like, well, this, we use a term called baseline. Well, this may be this client's baseline and they might get a little bit better with long-term medication and some extra treatment. And hopefully we will not let them fall below baseline. This is where they're always going to be kind of orienting back to. But what I found, and I don't, I mean, I feel, I feel compassion for them and I'm used to working with them, but I'm not struck by sadness because there's an interaction between me and the client where we kind of get like what we're working with as opposed to people with delusional disorder that there's no way to get through that belief system. You know, you can't kindness them out of it. You can't compassion them out of it. You can't sternly redirect them. All you can do is kind of hold it gently. And if you're dealing with somebody with auditory or visual hallucinations and you can say, look, I'm here with you. I want to hear what you have to say. I don't hear the voices that you're hearing. I don't think that they're there, but I do respect that you think that they're there. And it seems like it's causing you a lot of upset. So let's talk about that. Right. Sometimes that's the way you get in. What you're explaining is there's this level of awareness that they have where they can tell you hey, today the voices are kind of loud. I might be yes. distracted. It, there's a, a communication that can happen back and forth to where you can talk about what it is and know that it's a, a disorder where that conversation cannot take place. Exactly. So with some individuals that I've worked with, with various forms of uh, psychosis or schizophrenia, they can sit with you and go, I know it feels very real. I know it's not real, but damn, the volume is really high. I, or remember, you, we, you and I had a, a shared group client many years ago who couldn't look in a mirror. I have a bad day. That means I can't look in the mirror because when I look in the mirror on bad days, I see blood on my face. Right. But she had enough insight 
to know that that's what she had to avoid, right? And she also knew that it wasn't real, but it was still very disturbing. As we're talking about, this is very different. Today, we're going to be talking about some research in this area. We're going to give some case examples, a case in the news, and we're pulling very, very heavily from some work of Dr. Lorraine Sheridan, Dr. David James, New York Times author Mike McFate, or we've got other people that will be in the credits as well, but the majority is coming from them, from these authors. So we talked about what the phenomenon is like. I would also encourage people to very carefully look through the available podcasts on this. Please be discerning because some of the over 20 podcasts on Apple about this are either single one-off episodes that explore it from either just an outside observer of like, oh my gosh, what is this? And they do a nice job, but a lot of the other ones are people who believe that they are targeted individuals. And they have one or two episodes, and it looks like it got somehow on the menu. They're not following up with it, and those are actually pretty sad, I think. Mm. Again, what we were saying is that these individuals, the targeted individuals, believe that they are being stalked, harassed, observed, surveilled, sometimes mind-controlled, and they may or may not be under the effect of outside mechanical forces such as microwave or satellite-delivered directives and voices. And many of them do believe that they have had implants put into their bodies, usually in the head or the mouth. I mean, the mouth is part of the head. One of the things that we talk about in diagnostic terms is misperception. So looking at an MRI where there is clearly the brace that holds the base of the skull in place where you're told not to move, and they're insisting that that's a metal implant within their skull, even though they've been told by the MRI tech and by the neurologist, no, that's not inside your skull. That's the rack outside that was holding you in place. Right. Isn't it also common that a lot, aside from like a chip or something like that, that there's fibers underneath the skin? Well, that's different. And remember, Dr. Sarah, our colleague um, from years ago, Dr. Sarah had done like an in-depth research paper about that condition called Morgellons disease, mm, or it's okay. it's and that's called a somatic disorder where they believe that these things are under their skin. Now, the interesting thing is those people found each other on the web as well, and that became a huge movement where people were really like scraping their skin and like using bleach as a topical to take these fibers out. What was found through years and years of research is that a very, very, very small percentage of that population actually had an overactive production of keratin in their skin. So they wouldn't be developing just hairs out of hair follicles. They would actually be putting out little shards of keratin, but it's only a right. very, very small population and doesn't account for the huge number of people that felt like they had this disease. Gotcha. Even I think Joni Mitchell um, has it or believes she has it. That's right. That's right. And it's usually there's an overlap in that diagnosis with Epstein-Barr and fibromyalgia and some of these other things that are legit sort of mystery diseases that cause great pain for individuals. Mm -hmm. You know, they're also linked into intense neuropathic pain, which is another terrible diagnosis when basically your brain gets rewired to be hypersensitive to pain. It can happen after car wrecks where everything in your body is actually okay, but your brain is telling your body that it's in intense pain. It's awful. Anyway, I digress. 
bring let me back. get back on this. So a couple of famous people that we're going to mention today that believe they're being gang stalked. And Dr. Schaller, you're going to talk about those. Randy Quaid later, brother of Dennis Quaid. Right? His experience was wackadoo. And I'm completely comfortable calling it wackadoo. <laughs> and there have been other high profile people, doctors, anesthesiologists, lawyers, authors. Why do we think that they're, well, not why do we, what are the reasons that these individuals believe that they're being targeted? And it boils down to some major bullet points. They believe that they're being experimented on by the government and the government is testing mind control techniques on them. Or it may not be about necessarily implants or machines being used, but they are whistleblowers at work. And now the work entity or the corporation or the government that runs the corporation is after them and following them. They can believe that it's retaliation for ending relationships, that it's because of multiple law enforcement run-ins, or in the extreme end of even a further delusional part of this, that they are privy to secret information about the government or these entities or these, these shadow people, persons, things that have power over our day-to-day lives to so the extent... Or, I'm sorry. Are you saying that actually in a legitimate job they do, they are privy to that information and then this thinking happens or that is part of the delusional thinking? I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> and believe it or not, folks, that was completely spontaneous because that's the way we roll here. Right. So that's the problem in trying to understand this particular diagnosis is what came first? Did the trauma from the stress of being a whistleblower for a huge company push someone over the edge and it snaps something into the rewiring of the brain. And now this is trauma induced psychosis or is this, and this is actually my theory. I'm now convinced with no actual research on this because we don't have enough research is I feel that this is really mild schizophrenia. So think about, I was explaining it to my um, law enforcement supervisor today because we were having this in-depth conversation about the phenomenon because she encounters it as well in her work. And I said the metaphor or the visual I like to use is an old is the old soundboard. So you're in a recording studio and you're looking at a soundboard with all the little uh, slides that go up and down. Well, on the left-hand side, we have typical schizophrenia, which means a lot of positive symptoms. So a lot of erratic behaviors um, and then the negative symptoms of isolation and really high on the visual hallucinations and really high on the auditory hallucinations and really low on the ability to conduct activities of daily living like hygiene and cleaning. That's one side of the board. Now let's go over to the other side of the board. It's still schizophrenia, but it's a completely different configuration of those slides. I have no proof that this is actually what's going on, but that's what it seems like to me. Yeah. I, I'm just picturing you at work talking about this across the cubicles and then you go to get some water and they're like, oh, Scott must be recording an episode today. Probably. <laughs> no, Probably. but what cool conversation to have in your job, you know, just to bring Ugh. this up and actually bounce it off of people because you're around psych nurses and detectives and people must just love to engage in the conversation. Well, I'm sure I burn people out and I'm sure they were like, oh, <laughs> Never. Scott, Dr. Scott, can you please turn it down a little bit? No, I have, I have some insight. I'm, I can be 
fucking annoying as I know. <laughs> and people are very nice to be so patient with me, but I'm very passionate about this. And you're absolutely right to be able to talk to, you know, my detective partners and go, have you heard of this? And then they start like recounting literally two plus decades of experience and going, oh yeah, we used to have one of those over in the Northridge area, or we had yep. it here down in Santa Monica. And it's way more common. It's just that unless you have a context to put the name on it, you don't do that. So yeah, once again, another example of like, I just love my freaking job. I love well, it. And it is common. I mean, I can think back to my law enforcement days because who are these people calling? They're walking into the front of the police station and going, hey, this is what's happening. Or they're calling dispatch over and over again. The helicopters are up there again. We actually see it a lot. We just didn't know what to call it. Or, you know, oh, that's crazy Joe that lives over on whatever Main Street. Yeah. But law enforcement has a lot of run-ins with these individuals because they're calling for help. Or they're calling to say, why are you guys following me? That's the ones too, where, you know, it's three in the afternoon and it's finally slowing down and the the watch guy there at the front desk is sitting and someone comes in with like three D-ring binders that are all completely organized and they're tapping on the binders going, I have a record of every time you guys have turned on the the mind control machine. Yep. You guys, people listening today, I'm not exaggerating. No. That's that's actually a, a quite a common occurrence. And it also really costs your cities, your counties, and your states a lot of money because police have to take those things seriously to an extent because, oh my gosh, what is the one time, what's the danger in the one time this mentally ill individual comes forward and it's actually legit. So each one of these complaints has to be handled as if there's the potential for it to be real. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about this in other episodes and talking about delusions, but the thing about this particular experience until you get to the end of the narrative, 15, 20 minutes in, everything at first is plausible. It is what we call a non-bizarre delusion. It is possible that someone is following you in an SUV. It is actually possible that a couple of people are following you in two SUVs. Is it likely? No, it's not likely. But then they keep going and some will be like, hey, somebody's just following me or somebody's outside my window. I can hear the, the bushes moving at night and I know that they're there. Well, how do you know? Well, I just know. Yeah. Which you even want to give a little bit of flexibility and your credence to that. However, when they're saying, well, it's because I was asleep one night and I know they came in and put the implant under my left earlobe. And if you look, will you please reach over and feel it? Like, I can't even tell you how many times people have said, here, like, put your hand on the back of my neck. You can feel it. Sir, no, I, no. there can be no, we can't have any physical contact. No touchy touchy. Yeah, that's, that's the odd part. So look, much more has been written about the phenomenon. I highly recommend you watch the two very succinct, well-produced Vice documentaries. One's about 11 minutes, one's about 45 minutes. They're available on YouTube. It's fascinating and very sad to listen to these individuals, but you, the, they do a really great job in the, in the reporting, just letting people speak about their experience. Um, so there's more attention to it. And actually, as it comes more into the mainstream and, and people are making connections, about the beliefs and the motivations of people. There have been a couple of shootings 
couple of spree shootings um, that were driven by the individual's belief that they were being stalked. Thankfully, at this point, violent action is very, very rare. Right. And and those links were able to be made kind of similar to incels sort of after the fact when they go back and look at their postings online and what sort of groups they were a part of. Right. Yes, exactly. So it's deductive work or, or inductive work after the fact. So there is a growing community on Reddit and other discussion boards. Um, Dr. Lorraine Sheridan, who is currently the sort of the leader of nascent research into this phenomenon, has found that unfortunately there are no counter websites that push back against this belief system. You know, for a lot of pro-harm websites, when I use the term pro-harm, I'm talking about another phenomenon that is very sad because there are pro-suicide websites, there are pro-anorexia websites that really try and entice people and encourage people to engage in these really, really dangerous behaviors. And luckily for all of those, there are just as many sites that work with Google to get very high up in the ratings to push back against that. Right now, there are very few counter websites. In fact, there's postings on Reddit in those boards where people stumble upon it and they just start yelling in all caps, come on, guys, get a life. This is crazy. Look at the life you're leading. This is, you know, this can't be real, which only further reinforces the isolation that these target individuals feel. It's very sad. Well, they probably say that that's part of it, right? Part of the conspiracy that someone's jumping online, yelling at them in all caps and that's the same person that was tuning into their YouTube video rant today. Right. So that's, I thank you again. Again, completely spontaneous. You're pointing out something that is very important to realize or to remember when you're working with someone who is engaged in a psychotic process is that you have to be very careful about what you say and not get confident in the foundational relationship with you that you think you have with them because they can wrap your interaction with them into their delusion. So you can think that you're coming in and just being, I'm going to be the warm, reassuring therapist that's there to help. And one misstep and suddenly, oh, you're getting information for them, or you're also part of it, or I can see that reflection in your eye. You have an implant too, but you're just not aware that you have an implant. That happens. I used to see that a lot on the psych ward in the prison. Well, you know, it's interesting when you ran through the reasons that they believe they're being targeted, because during this research, that was that was my question to a lot of them. It's like, why you? What is special about you that all of these entities would want to surveil you and listen to what you're saying? And I don't know that anyone has been able to come up with that. You know, I I understand like when you're saying maybe there's a whistleblower at work, like there might be some reasons, especially if they are privy to maybe some information that the rest of us aren't, that they could be targeted because that's where you're going, okay, plausible, non-bizarre, but just the average, like in the Vice documentary, there was the gentleman that was the makeup artist. Oh my God. You know, like talented, successful, and then just... So tragic. Right. So tragic. But you're also, once again, because you're so on top of this, there are a couple of theories about it. 
And the first thing to say is that what makes this so fascinating is that it is different from the psychosis that is born of maybe a bipolar manic episode or a schizophrenic episode, because many times there's a grandiosity to delusional beliefs. I, I am God. I am Buddha. I am Napoleon. I am the avatar of St. Lucia. These are all things that are very grandiose and, and narcissistic in that moment because they are internally oriented as the center of the phenomenon around them, right? And they assign themselves, as a result, a great level of importance. Mm -hmm. With targeted individuals, most of the cases that we have looked at, it's the opposite. They don't, they kind of know that they aren't special. And they feel at the effect of being experimented on, especially in one of the documentaries, one of the guys is saying, this is an experiment to make us transhumans. We are being, uh, we're basically on a prison planet. We are all being experimented on by these. I don't even know what they are. I don't know if they're aliens. You know, he he's saying that he doesn't have the ultimate answers. He just knows it's happening. But he's not saying that it's happening because he's a special individual. Huh. He's a target for this. So gotcha. isn't that interesting, the difference? It internal is. versus external? Yes, it's fascinating. And going off into an area that I don't normally go off into is paranormal is this feels like people who say that they're abducted and there is an overlay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's an overlay in some of the research. We're not, we are not going to go down that rabbit hole because that's a whole other show and it's fascinating too, but we're going to stay with the, the nexus to crime. So for rookies that are on the Reddit boards, they get very uh, specific directions. There's a lot of admin work on the board to throw naysayers out which only further, you know, solidifies the echo chamber experience. But the three main points for coping with this experience by the admins is, first one sounds pretty great. Do not engage with the voices in your head. And that is something that I would absolutely do in a clinical setting if I'm working with someone who is having auditory hallucinations. Unless they're benign or unless they're helpful. And there are some individuals who have helpful, nice uh, auditory hallucinations, but it's very rare. Generally, they're derogatory uh, and and very unpleasant or even into being malicious or uh, what we say command auditory hallucinations to harm themselves or harm other people. So I like this. Don't engage with the voices in your head. That's a good one. The next one is not so good. If your relatives tell you that you're imagining things they could be in on it. Sure. So that's yeah. a dead end right there. There is no way out of that. That's very black and white, concrete thinking. If your relatives tell you you're imagining things, they could be in on it. I mean, the choice of the word could mm -hmm. makes a little bit of flexibility, but it's just one step away from saying, well, if she's a witch, let's throw in the water. And if she floats, she's a witch and we'll burn her. But if she drowns to death, well, she was innocent. Absolutely. No, it's a double bind, right? Right. But the third one is do not visit a psychiatrist. Gotcha. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. They're very, very anti-psychiatry. One of the first uh, approaches for many people with delusional disorder, including those with gang stalking, is a light or a mild dose of an antipsychotic. 
to see if it will have any effect on turning down the belief. Generally, um, there's a very common medication called Risperdal Mm -hmm. because it has few side effects, but it actually can be very effective for certain people. But once again, if you kind of wrap into your delusion that maybe the medical community is against you, then that's going to be some reason to avoid medications. Well, so with this this socialization that they found online and then creating these rules and how to cope with it, it sounds like, you know, I don't, I don't want to say that it's all bad, and it, meaning it's not malicious, because... I also have come to learn that they have formed really like in-person support groups with each other too, which is really interesting because the isolation can get so bad from everyone just throwing up their hands and being done with them that they actually grow towards each other and have done that in person too. Well, remember there was an article that you and I were reading when we were doing the incel research And I don't know if it was Wired Magazine. It was a really great interview. And it was with someone that was leaving the incel community because he had actually gotten into a relationship and kind of had this shift in his thinking that all women aren't really what we've been saying they are. There's the chance. And then getting all this positive reinforcement from the positivity of the relationship. But the thing that was holding him and anchoring him into the incel community was trench buddies. He did not want to leave his friends, these people that he had, you know, bonded with over this shared belief system, right? Yeah. So I think the same thing happens here, but these people are not socially awkward. I mean, at least the ones that you see in the Vice documentaries, they are very well-spoken and a few of them are fired up. Like there are some people that are like, they're instigating legislative changes in some cities around the U.S. We'll get to that in a second. But... I'll tell you one of the things that makes this difficult, and we talked about this in Folia Do, uh, our episode on Folia Do, which is shared psychosis or psycho, shared psychogenic illness. There have been historically mass manipulation of population through various means. The most recent one that is concerning and should be, and you should watch this documentary called The Social Dilemma, which explores the algorithms within Facebook, Instagram. Uh, YouTube, any of the social media forms. Basically, your behaviors are being shaped in a way that if I was trying to help someone change habits in their life, I would help them shape their own behaviors. But if you're on YouTube and you're watching a certain kind of video, YouTube is learning as much about you as you are about that video you're watching. So more content, more advertisers, more political opinions are being directed toward you. So we are being manipulated. Please follow us at LA Not So Pod. <laughs> Please follow us at LA Not So Pod. Uh, once again, so that's one that is happening in the past. The CIA's mind control programs using a combination of hypnosis, psychedelics, and torture. It was called MK Ultra. Uh, FBI had a program in the fifties and sixties called Con- Cointel Pro. It was surveillance of the 19 throughout the 1950s, the horrific legacy of the Tuskegee Hospital experiments sure. on black citizens with syphilis. And in the 1950s through the 70s, the U.S. Embassy in Moscow was subjected to a 2.5 to 4.0 gigahertz microwave called the Moscow Signals. And for reasons that are still unclear today, we don't know why, but it was proven that it was happening. Is that the one we talked about? 
No, that was Cuba. That was and Cuba. That's Cuba right. was being subjected, and there's it's, the jury is still out on that. And actually, doing the research for this brought me contradictory research to that episode oh, because that geez. episode, the latest research that I found, had indicated that they had been exposed to an insecticide that's very commonly oh, that's used. Right. However, now they're saying there actually was electronic surveillance going on, and it was an embassy. So, I mean, it's not unusual to think that somebody's doing something. But again, you think you have all the information and then you get contradictory information. So there you go. Um, There was also an article several years ago about another type of phenomenon that is related to gang stalking that is actually very real and has been proven. And it's basically extreme trolling on the web, like extreme trolling of victims So much like the people that uh, went after the Sandy Hook parents by bombing their inboxes, doxing them online, saying that they were believing that they were, um, what was the term? False, uh, not false flag, but crisis actors. Was that it? Is that yes, the term crisis, crisis actors? actors. Driving one of the poor parents to suicide. Yep. Um, several had gone into hiding. Uh, one woman in Florida was actually finally put in prison for the amount of horrific threats that she made. There was the experience that was talked about in Wired of several parents in the Midwest whose children had been killed tragically in car accidents, getting barraged with not only crime scene photos of their deceased children, but also getting phone calls nonstop pretending to be the the kids that had died. And the author had been able to interview the people that were perpetrators of this and just found that they were disaffected, trolling kids that with no supervision and no idea. And so that, of course, is born out of the anonymity of being behind a screen and feeling disinhibited in your most dark impulses. There was a recent one having to do with COVID with a woman who is part of an American cycling team. And she was actually participating in a cycling race in Wuhan, China in 2019 and crashed during her bike, her bicycling race. And this whole online trolling started that she actually had vials of COVID in her bike. And that was all pre-planned to have those vials break and go out into the crowd. And she has been horribly trolled and threatened online, basically saying that she started the COVID outbreak. I had not heard of that. I'm just, I'm sort of gobsmacked at the... People making videos, YouTube videos about her, putting all of her information out there, her and her husband, like just threats. It's, it's craziness. Well, it's unfettered craziness. You know, there's just, and, and some people are out there doing, uh, promoting this kind of stuff because they just want to see the world burn. You know, I think that, that there are a lot of people that are into trolling because it, it just represents a, a sense of power, rec- reclaiming power and giving sort of credence and facility to their darkest impulses. That's well, what I would say. They're feeling incredibly out of control at this point, and that's the way that they're coping Right. They're angrily projecting that onto their victims. I did want to make a comment while you were talking 
that a helicopter went through. And you're probably, until I muted my microphone, the audience is probably going to be able to hear the chopper that was going over my apartment. I know. I was just thinking like the amount of sirens and helicopters that are over your apartment in any given night. I'm glad you're not a targeted individual. I'm not. I, I, and believe me, I don't think anybody be interested except maybe if I'm going to be targeted by anybody, it's got to be Esther Hilton because <laughs> Esther, you can, <laughs> you can target me. She comes up with the best memes and posts stuff on my, my timeline that is hilarious. So love you, Esther, so much. Anyway, why? So we keep talking about the problematic layers of this phenomenon. The individuals who believe that they're being targeted are generally intelligent and they're mentally organized. As a result, They've collaborated, they've raised money, they've held awareness campaigns, they've hosted international conferences, they have fought causes in courts and won as well as passing legislation. And recently, a group of these individuals in Richmond, California, passed a resolution banning space-based weapons that they believe could be used for mind control. Now, I didn't go down the rabbit hole of what that legislature was because I don't even know how you would write that. But wow. And there's another similar effort to pass a similar resolution in Tucson. So I, someone's I, like, well, this is bananas. Let's just sign it. <laughs> I guess. I, I oh, don't know. I don't know. But I wanted, you know, look, we talked about this in, in the past, and this is your area, especially because I know you've done specific presentations on it. Can you give us an overview of what legit stalking is? So I'll do a little bit of an overview here and do a little comparing and contrasting because I actually just talked about some of this when we were talking with Amy and Megan last week. But it's interesting because you talked about this being a new phenomenon because of the internet and people being able to get together. Stalking as we know it, as the crime that it is and the the social relationship phenomenon that it is actually wasn't really well-researched before the 90s, which is when we started recognizing it. Law enforcement started recognizing it. First world countries started making anti-stalking laws against it. And we just didn't understand the behavior. It's very hard to define, and it can be very hard to believe, which is what we're talking about with gang-stalking a little bit. But a, a nice, succinct definition that I like comes from Laura Richards that People know the the criminologist out of the UK, Real Crime Profile. So her definition is a pattern of unwanted, fixated, and obsessive behavior, which is intrusive and causes fear of violence or serious alarm or distress. So the thing with stalking is that it can be a bunch of little behaviors that on their own at the most feel annoying. But when you start clustering these activities together and it's relentless and it becomes harassment, it does start to drive the victim crazy. So it's not about one action, but a combination or multitude of repeated and persistent intrusions where the activities evoke fear and distress in the victim. That's really key. But it also ends up resulting in a sense of loss of control over their own lives and the environment around them. So their worldview actually starts to shift that the world is an unsafe place. It's a bad place. People are untrustworthy. So it's now impacting how they think about the people in their lives 
and their own safety and the most private places that should be, should feel safe, like their own homes primarily. But it's really a victim-centered crime, meaning that it's it's up to the perception and discretion of the victim, too, of what feels like stalking or what feels like harassing. So you can get kind of the the ambiguous nature of what I'm talking about and why it might mean that the cops are called 20 times to report these little things, like what was going on with Cindy James in the beginning. You know, the phone calls, the heavy breathing, the notes, the dead cats, those sort of things, where it doesn't necessarily seem like a big deal from the outside, but obviously it can be very, very deadly if it escalates. And anybody can be a victim. They can be a celebrity. They can be a non-celebrity, men, women. It can be a stranger. You can know the person. Actually, the most common, so for women, women are more likely to be stalked by a former intimate partner, and men are more likely to be stalked by a casual acquaintance. It is about time that this comes to the forefront. You know, the 90s was not that long ago, but this typically happens between two individuals, and usually they're known. So that's the biggest difference with gang stalking, where it is not an entity of people doing this to one person and they don't know who they are. This is really happening on an interpersonal level. So I want to jump in there, if it's okay to tell you something about the research that's fascinating. And the few studies that there are, the results were so really direct in showing that when comparing people like a con- control groups of 100 individuals that were being gang stalked and 100 individuals that were experiencing singular stalking, 99% of the singular stalking cases had absolute credible proof on all aspects of it, including restraining orders, threatening notes. of the individuals who were interviewed for the gang stalking met all sorts of criteria for delusional disorder. And there was no evidence. No evidence. Whatsoever. Yeah, two vastly different things. Let me just give you an example of kind of a traditional, what we think of with stalking. So Gwyneth Paltrow was stalked for about 17 years, horrifically. I mean, just thinking of 17 years of your life of having to deal with this one individual, I'm sure she had others as well. But in the early 2000s, this man had, basically he was accused of sending lewd messages and sex toys to her. He, many of those messages described her death and then others described how he wanted to marry her and be with her. And he was actually found not guilty by reason of insanity for all the crimes. And he was housed in a mental institution. And then he gets out and back at it again, writing her letters and sending gifts. And and, and that's what we see, that they're just, they do it over and over again. I think the one of Taylor Swift's stalkers, like the day he was released from breaking into her Manhattan apartment, like broken later that day. But this guy, he ended up, getting acquitted on charges uh, after in 2016, after the most recent one. And both Gwyneth and the, the perpetrator testified at the trial. And she really broke down on the stand and talked about 17 years of traumatic experiences and fearing for her children's lives. And he said you know, he was a changed man. He was writing to ask her for her forgiveness. 
he was also a Christian now and he wanted to minister her. So, you know, he, he was like, well, I didn't try and visit her this time, but, but that's what we're talking about. You know, you think, okay, letters and gifts, eh, big deal, but it ends up being a big deal. And thank you for that example, especially with, with Gwyneth, I'm going to call her, hey, Gwyneth, um, Gwyneth's 17 year experience of just looking over your shoulder and worrying about your kids. That's exactly what the gang stalker targeted individuals believe is happening to them. Even if somebody's not breaking through a window and destroying furniture and sending you horrific images, the individual believes that it is happening. And I think that for people that don't work in mental health, I think that that can be a huge gap for them to have to leap to understand that our belief can be just as traumatic as the actual realistic, right. credible experience. Exactly. Exactly. I also, I just want to quickly like swing to another branch on our tree right now <laughs> since we're going with that. But have you heard of mobbing? I, it, it was related in related terms when I was doing Boolean searches. So what so, is that? So it is real, but in, and this is why this is going to be a really quick diversion, I promise. It's, it's a sociological term. It's, it means the bullying of an individual by a group. So in some sort of social context, usually in the workplace, it could be others. It could be like your family or a peer group or even online, but I'm not, I'm not going to go there for that. But the group members directly interact with the target in some sort of adversarial way that undermines them, harms them. Um, basically, if you think of like being ganged up on by people at work. And, and is it, so is it coordinated? Yes. And I, and I don't mean that necessarily like they're sitting around having meetings of how do we target this person, but kind of bouncing off of each other's behavior. Maybe one person sort of takes the lead and then other people start doing the undermining as well. Some of the tactics are verbal aggression. So it might be unpleasant tone when speaking to the person, insults, sarcastic remarks, it, stonewalling is also common. So maybe the the targeted person, their projects or their initiatives are just kind of ignored. There's maybe requests for feedback or status updates, and that just goes unanswered. But also inclusion. So kind of in a social context, maybe you're accidentally left off an email invite to the potluck, or, you know, you're not invited to socialize or there's this special training coming up and, oh man, I forgot to invite you. Oh, you know, there's sort of this gaslighting going on too. And then gossip, you know, things like that. But all of these together sounds like got a lawsuit for a hostile work environment in my opinion, but that's the union vice president in me talking. <laughs> well, I'm glad you brought that up. I, and I like, I, you're right. We shouldn't spend too much time on it, but this is a great example, especially sort of in the, the triptych that we're discussing today. The idea that in those situations, the individuals can feel like they're being gaslit, mm -hmm. completely gaslit. Like, is this real? She kind of looked at me funny. And did she mean to not invite me to the meeting? I was the board meeting. But it's real. It's a thing. It's yeah. just let's we can swing back now. But I just wanted to bring that up because I don't know the term mobbing and gang stalking kind of. Well, I'm similar. wondering now if that would if what those poor parents that were experiencing, you know, getting doxxed and uh, calls in the middle of the night from their supposedly deceased children and then laughing and hanging up and getting the photos 
sent digitally that sh never should have been released from police custody, by the way. I wonder if that would constitute mobbing. It sounds like it would. Anyway, the expressed experience back to the targeted individuals, they express experience of living in con constant fear as they see reinforcement evidence that they're being followed and monitored. They feel that they're being harassed on a daily basis. It very, very rarely relents. And in addition to the harassment, they can feel that there are attempts made by perpetrators to engage them in mind control. They are trying to influence their decisions. So on top of this idea that you're being harassed and surveilled and monitored, you are questioning your own decision-making, saying, Am I deciding this because I want to do it or because the big shadow organization that's gang stalking me is making me do it? It sounds like, torturous. What a mind fuck that has got to right. be, right? And, do they, and from what I understand also is that those of us that aren't believing what they're believing, we're being mind controlled and sort of being the cattle going along with what's happening. I think that there can be variance in the population about whether like there are some people in the documentary, there are a couple of people that were saying this is worldwide and basically the entire nation. And this, this one was done in Britain, but this individual was saying that this whole country is a prison camp. Oh, we, we are in a prison camp. So he was really asserting that everybody's being experimented on. And then there was another woman in Manhattan at a support group who was, you know, this is a select group of individuals in our family can't understand it. They don't, they have no idea what's going on and they won't, and they won't believe us. Some of the targeted individuals also experienced um, physical pain from what they believe to be the various forms of assault that include hearing voices. Here's the other thing. Oh my gosh. And this is, goes back to that metaphor of the soundboard with the different slides of influence. The way some of these individuals hear sounds and have somatic experiences like um, what we call tactile hallucinations, so they feel crawling on their skin or buzzing or electrical shocks or things going on in the body that actually can be just the physical ailments of not being exercising or not, not taking care of yourself. I mean, that's kind of your body growing up doing this. Being things. over 40. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Christ, don't remind me. But the difference here is that when an individual with schizophrenia or psychosis tells me, yeah, this is what the voices are saying, they're recognizing it either as somebody is there. If they don't have any insight, they're recognizing it as like there's somebody here talking to me or, yeah, I can see this person and they're talking to me. But the targeted individuals use a term called voice-to-skull technology. So that's the term that's been coined on all these discussion boards where it is denoting or describing the te whatever technology, which they usually have now incorporated the belief that microwaves are projecting the voice into their skull, either using an implant or the bone of the skull itself as a resonance board. It's not that they're thinking, you know, the ghost is talking to me or the devil is talking to me. It is this organization that is beaming thoughts right into my head. In fact, one of the targeted individuals, very high functioning, put together guy in Britain, and he's telling the interviewer what he's experiencing. He goes, yeah, the voices, he's saying some not very nice things to you. And he's telling me not to talk to you. And he goes, oh, what, I mean, what's that like for you? He goes, well, I just trying to ignore it. I mean, I got to concentrate on driving right now. It just pisses me off because it's like some guy sitting in a room somewhere, probably in a basement with a headset. And his job is just to piss me off. 
Wow. What a, a mind. Story. I know. Yeah. What an am- amazing uh, description, right? Oh, yes. Like we said, some people experience physical pain, constant sounds like buzzing, ticking, clicking. That's also a description of what I have. I have tinnitus because when I used to be a performer, I toured around the world doing concert shows. And I was on stage with huge speakers. So by the time I was 32, I had started having a little bit of hearing loss and constant tones in my ears. Tinnitus is actually a very, very common experience. However, individuals and actually more people have tinnitus now than probably ever in history because we have higher levels of ambient sound constantly than have ever been experienced in human history. Sure. So more people have hearing impairment than ever before. When you have damage to the cilia, which are the tiny, tiny, tiny hairs on the inner ear that um, resonate and grab sound to be processed by your brain, overexposure to loud noise kills those cilia, makes them lie down so that they can't resonate. And so the brain tries to make up for the lack of sound in that area. So our brains start creating these weird tones and pops and clicks. And it can be torturous for people. I believe that tinnitus actually plays a big part in some of these people's belief system. Another part of it is the intense social stigma and isolation from friends and family. In the documentaries where you and I were watching, the members of a support group for targeted individuals shares them recounting how some of them don't tell anybody anymore. They've realized, like, I can't share this with anybody because they're going to try and hospitalize me. They're going to try and put me in a psychiatrist's office. So I just don't say anything more. Or some were saying that they don't tell their friends and family because they don't want to put them in harm's way from the government or whoever's trying to harm them. Yeah, I don't want to expose you to it, which is interesting. Like that to me reminds me sort of a trope of recent horror movies of if you if I tell you about the monster, then that makes you a victim of the monster, you know, and who knows how much social media and entertainment feed into these ideas like that. Like if someone who's never had that concept before but they have this delusional disorder and then they watch it on a movie and they incorporate it, they integrate it into their thinking system. Targeted individuals have been able to find comfort and community via these online connections with others who have this experience. But once again, the danger there is that it is a closed system. Yes, It is a closed echo chamber where there's no dissenting voices because a dissenting voice is perceived as dismissive and negating of the pain that the person is experiencing. I know you're hurting, but you're crazy. You got to stop it. You just got to take the medication. You got to do this. You got to do that. Yeah. Um, I I mean, I I don't know that the support groups are all that bad. I mean, they're not necessarily doing good or undoing the delusion, but there's some level of acceptance. I'm sure their anxiety is a lot lower when they're there talking to people who have had similar experiences. I I completely agree. One of my first experiences as a trainee was working in an adult day program for severely mentally ill adults. So this was people from 30s into their 80s with all with diagnoses of schizophrenia spectrum disorders. They had been coming to these groups for years. So they had seen like decades worth of trainees coming and going and learning about it. And I, the, I was always impressed by the resilience and 
the sense of comfort and community they got from each other, despite the variances in their illness. One person only saw like a flaming skeleton, you know, trying to stab him. And he would, you know, purposely not look at it when he's sitting next to a woman who hears angels telling her that, you know, this or that. But they came together as a community. And I think you're absolutely right. It lowers their anxiety because it's less social isolation. There's a great New York Times article that is so well written. Uh, It'll link to, we'll link to it in the show notes. They talk about another targeted individual, Dr. John Hall. He's an anesthesiologist, and he is a leading organizer and proponent of the gang stalking belief system. In a 2009 book called A New Breed, Satellite Terrorism in America, he expresses his own experience of being targeted. He says that these shadow individuals have poisoned or put bleach in his water. Uh, He's bombarded with voices making murderous threats to him. The book really kind of made a splash because he is a licensed member of the medical establishment who's telling people that feel targeted that their psychiatrists, the people they're supposed to be able to trust with their mental health issues, are misleading them. And oh, one no. of the I know, right? And one of the quotes he says is, "A janitor knows as much about the human mind as a psychiatrist," which is <gasps> absolutely incorrect. And that's no disrespect to janitors. Well, unless they're like Will Hunting or something like exactly, that. <laughs> exactly. Well, Matt Damon, he can do anything. So. Look, I'm a huge, huge fan of a show that came on years ago when I was camping during grad school. I used to listen to Coast to Coast with Art Bell. Art Bell has passed. It's now hosted by a guy named George Norrie. Art Bell was a great interviewer, and one of the things he would do, which I found really cool, is he was respectful to everybody that came on his show. Absolutely. No no matter how insane they sounded, whether it was Sasquatch being an interdimensional traveler or shadow (laughs) organizations in the government or shape-shifting porpoise men in the Amazonian jungle, (laughs) he was always willing to talk to them and he was very professional. So he gave a big, and he had a a huge audience because it was a late night show. Truckers listened to it late night security guards. Oh yeah. I I used to listen to it on patrol. And then when I started working with people getting out of prison, they all listened to it in prison, like all hours of the night. Shiloh, I never knew you listened to that. Yes. Did I not tell you? I don't don't think we've ever talked about it. Oh, we're going to have to. Okay. We got to talk about it. Cause when I used to camp at Camarillo state beach, I would, that's what I would fall asleep to. Like it'd be the nights between my grad school up in Santa Barbara. I would camp there and I, it was so cold camping by the ocean in the winter, oh God. but I would and listen to, I know. And he always had somebody like really insane on anyway, Dr. Hall went on coast to coast AM and it reached about, I mean, I had millions of listeners at the time prior to that. He had very little interaction, but his book sales just took off 4,000 emails from people saying it's happening to me here. It's happening to me in Florida. It's happening to me in Europe and all over the place. So this only, of course, reinforced, I'm not alone. I'm having this. He said, like, it's part of a worldwide conspiracy. It's a wide ranging campaign. If psychiatrists want to say this is schizophrenia or delusional disorder, that's fine. But every one of these victims have the same story. 
well, I see your reasoning there, but that's not solid reasoning. While he has uh, faced a lot of scrutiny from the medical board in Texas over whether or not he is mentally fit, he still has his license. But, you know, that's he's one of the lucky ones because many people who have this experience end up not being able to hold a job. They may be functional in some other areas, but many times they go on disability because it just becomes too overwhelming to manage all these symptoms in a work situation. Uh, Karen Stewart of Tallahassee, Florida, believes that large number of regular people have been brainwashed and mind-controlled by the NSA into thinking that she herself is an agent of a terrorist organization or a traitor to the U.S., So wherever she goes, whether she's at the doctor's office, uh, walking down the street, at church, in a meeting, you know, running her daily errands, everybody is watching her. And she doesn't understand. She goes, it makes me angry to see how many people in this country are sociopaths. They are complete groupthink drones. And I don't even consider them human anymore. I don't understand either. But, but can you imagine what that experience is like we're no, talking about that just awful. that horrific idea of you know your day-to-day life is now being surveilled and people talking about you all the time. Right. So and it, yeah, I don't know. There's just so many different variables that go into this, you yeah. know, it's, that it's so specific that it's a specific agency that they want her to think she's a traitor or a terrorist. Uh, yeah. Like they're yeah. trying to set her up. Like she's probably trying to be set up for something, for something that she knows she didn't do, mm-hmm. which is the interesting twist to it. Like, I know I didn't do this. So why are the, what's the motivation behind it? And if you don't know what the motivation is, you have to open up yourself to all sorts of considerations, which then leads to further delusional disordered thinking. New York Times also profiled Timothy Trespass. And he was a recording engineer in his early 40s. And he himself is uh, convinced that he is being followed and manipulated by what he calls operatives around his Manhattan neighborhood. And he reports that he's physically assaulted in a mild way, like constantly bumping into him when he's walking down the street and whispering gibberish or nonsense into his ears. And when it first started happening, he wondered if he was imagining it. And then guess what happened? Well, he he's in he's midtown Manhattan. That's what's happening. Well, he also <laughs> Everybody's went on, bumping yeah, into you. Yeah, well, true. How can you possibly avoid it? He also went and made an internet search and immediately connected with people Great. and found other people of like mind that feel like they're being monitored. And his belief is that the group's purpose that's doing this monitoring is to destroy every aspect of a targeted individual's life. Doesn't know why he was chosen, but that's what he thinks. I just want to add that I looked it up and there is a podcast, The Best of Coast to Coast AM. I know. Go listen, guys. <laughs> so I think good. We're, we got to find a way to wrap that in. Well, you know, now that we describe, have discovered another damn thing that you and I have in common that... right. We never knew that. Yep. We'll have to um, find a couple of our favorite episodes because I listened to it religiously oh, for so long. So let me move over since we've given these sort of broad overview and a couple of smaller examples. Let's look at diagnostic considerations. So what we used to call mass hysteria, we're trying to get away from the word mass hysteria because it just is a, a loaded word. We now call it mass psychogenic illness. And it's really hard to see all of these experiences, or I should say any of these experiences outside the realm of paranoia, 
no matter what the actual direct diagnosis is. I mean, you can be, you know, subtle gradations of a diagnosis, but it really falls within this realm. And delusions in psychiatry are defined really clearly as fixed false beliefs, which means that they're not going to move. And really, paranoia represents a classic version in which, like, the individual really believes that they're being followed, harassed, or otherwise persecuted, whether it's people breaking into their homes when they're away or people hiding in the trees and watching them and surveilling them. Now, that, those are pretty common in interviewing uh, individuals with any form of psychosis. So what is particularly significant about these claims is the persecution defies credulity on several grounds. Like we said earlier, they can initially seem to be non-bizarre. It is possible that you're being followed by someone in a black SUV. It is possible that your cell phone is being monitored by the United States military drones. Because that does happen, this has been testified to and confirmed by Robert Mueller in front of Congress. There could be people in disguises who are following you, but not to the extent that you believe that it is. Some of the people that have a particular subgroup of targeted individuals can look at an African-American elderly woman with her shopping cart and believe that that's actually a 20-year-old white six-foot-five Secret Service agent who just has an elaborate costume on. Yeah, something that is not even physically possible. It's not physically possible, but they believe that it's possible. Um, That was interesting to me, too, because I had never heard of, like, you know, someone can put on a mustache and a wig, but targeted individuals believe that you can act, that there has advanced disguises that can change your race which is interesting because how far do you go between it being an elaborate disguise and belief that it's a person with the ability to shapeshift? Right, right. Right, which is also one of the other individuals in those documentaries. There's one individual that absolutely does believe that he's being chased by shapeshifters. Right, and sort of dives into the whole lizard people thing too. Oh, yeah, the lizard people underneath L.A., right. So the other thing that really tests credulity is kind of difficult because look where we are today. I'm of a generation that watched the first Star Trek. I watched it in reruns. I loved it. All of that technology is here. An iPad was seen on the deck of the Enterprise. Communicators. I mean, all of these technologies and many of them, what's really meta about that is so many people within Apple and other uh, tech companies said that they were inspired to develop some of these technologies from watching science fiction, particularly Star Trek as children. I know. Isn't that really cool? Yes, yes. But the limits of what we know these technologies can do, these amazing computers that we carry around in our pockets, we don't think about those as voice-to-skull technology that's been implanted or beamed into your head. Maybe at some point we will have something like that, but right now it really sort of pushes the boundaries of what we understand technology to be. And I would describe it as futuristic secret technologies that sort of surround the idea of these implants. So why are you so important that you would be followed? And most don't even ask this question themselves. They don't know why. They just know it's happening. So once again, going back to what we were saying before, it's not this grandiose thinking. But as that psychologist was saying that I think was a really great observation is that it may very well be providing them with meaning and a sense of identity and purpose in their life. A toxic view of it 
that's not healthy, but it may give them some sense of purpose in a warped Freudian way, right? Right, right. Yeah, not in a grandiose way. Hey, look at me. I'm special, but maybe I've been so, I felt so insignificant and unspecial that now my brain is coming up with this. Right, right. In the same way that the the lack of auditory stimulation from damaged cilia makes the brain go into overdrive to produce sounds, right? I mean, a that's a parallel. biological example. When we talk about disorganization, again, in the presence of psychosis, we see high amounts of disorganization, particularly disorganized thought, which means that there are significant challenges or derailment or failure or even sudden stopping in the thought process. And this can look like nonlinear thought and speech. So like randomly spoken words, and in many cases, in a full psychotic episode, complete incoherence, gibberish, or nonsense. Yeah, um, we call it word salad. Word salad. And then there's, have you ever, have you ever interviewed somebody that had clanging associations? No. So they get derailed really easy and they'll say, well, I went to the store, the store, the floor, floor, bore, Dador, Eva Gabor, Jaja Gabor, 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 Gabor. So they get, st- it's almost like a record that gets stuck in a groove and yeah. keeps playing itself over again. I mean, the brain is fascinating in the way yep. that it can function or dysfunction sometimes. I give you that example because the targeted individuals are highly organized. They have linear thought. They're not tangential. They're not circumstantial. They are highly creative and they can make connections and inferences that probably are not accurate. They are not accurate to the level of objective reality, but their subjective experience creates a linear path of thought. And as one researcher remarked in, in the bibliography that we have, they tend to be of high intelligence and creativity. And this is not generally what we see in severely psychotic people, not saying that that you know, certainly don't ever make the mistake of thinking that mentally ill people are of low intelligence because generally they're not, although it can happen. You can be so disorganized that your intelligence can't be expressed. But here in the targeted individuals, we're talking about people that are highly intelligent and highly organized. Um, I would also say like the guy driving around in that second, the British guy Mm -hmm. was like the most clean cut, good looking, worked out buff guy. Yeah. You know, able to communicate so well, and he's just tossing off. Yeah, some guy, it does, it pisses me off. Some guy's sitting in his basement somewhere, beaming thoughts into my head. I mean, not that there should be any, I need to look at my own bias about why I find that particularly interesting, because he's a good-looking guy. But I just did find that so interesting compared to one of the things that we see working with the chronically mentally ill is that you will see a rapid aging The chronically mentally ill tend to age very fast, and it's not necessarily because of the medications they take, although that there can be side effects, but one, for some reason, tobacco seems to remit some of the symptoms of psychosis. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people with schizophrenia will be very heavy smokers, like decade after decade. And of course, that takes its toll on your physical um, health, may not be exercising or eating. They may not be getting sort of the ADLs that they need to live a healthy life. So they're going to be aging faster. When someone has been mentally ill for decades, you can really see it in their physical affect. That's been my experience, at least. One of the things I wanted to talk about was sort of the stats with regards to the population. So 
when we talk about schizophrenia being a chronic brain disorder, it affects about 1% of the world population with a slightly higher percentage of 1.2% in the United States. And during the illness, during the active episodes, the primary symptoms can be delusions, hallucinations, disorganized speech, challenges in thinking, and significant levels of what we call a motivation or an inability to plan, organize, and push through with like a regularly scheduled day of taking care of themselves. Sort of the things that we take for granted. You take it for granted that you're able to get out of bed in the morning, pour your coffee, brush your teeth, wash your hair, and get out the door. You know, that's we take that for granted that some people with severe and chronic mental illness are not able to do that. So when we talk about sort of the more severe forms of schizophrenia, men and women are almost equal in the emergence of the illness, but there's generally an earlier onset in males. So anywhere between like 15 to 21 and sometimes triggered by extreme stress. The frightening thing about this is that women can have absolutely no symptoms and have psychotic breaks as late as 30s. Um, And some of the saddest cases ever with no idea that this was coming, full families, and then it's triggered by like a really brutal pregnancy or a trauma in their life. And suddenly, here's a married couple and mom has full-on psychosis with uh, a father and six kids. Right. Not unlike Andrea Yates, which is another case that would be interesting Mm -hmm. to talk about sometime. In many cases, people with chronic and moderate to severe schizophrenia, they know they're ill and they will really attempt to remain compliant with their medication because they don't like the symptoms. Targeted individuals, like we said before, really lack this insight. I can't be crazy because this is real. This feels real. That's part of that fixed delusion, and you're not going to get around it. And in the psychiatric world, delusions are known to be very hard to work with and confront. And like we said, antipsychotics will at best dampen some of the thoughts and turn it into a memory. And maybe if they're having auditory hallucinations, it might turn down the volume. Certainly, we see the Internet agonizes this stuff, uh, but... Well, it's it's a huge challenge that there's this delusion, it's plausible on some level, and that there are others that are experiencing and supporting it. So what else do you need to help you feel like you're not going crazy? And when you, that's desperately what you want to hear, because what, what I heard with a lot of these folks is the desperation of wanting to know why, like, why me? They weren't, they weren't saying, here's the reason it is me. But why is this being done? Why is this happening? And they do want an answer, but that's an answer they're never, ever, ever going to get because it doesn't exist. Yeah. I, you know, I talk about Quora a lot and I don't know how many people are familiar with it. I don't know how I stumbled upon Quora, Q-U-O-R-A dot com. It is a really great website with some really amazing and talented and intelligent thinkers. I'm not saying 100% of it is great. But I have gone on there and read presentations and writings by people who hold very, very different belief systems than I do. And I come away with it with respect going, well, that was helpful. At least I understand what this person's political stance or their religious or their spiritual stance is. And it's it's a very simple social media site and where almost like Reddit, where you can upvote and downvote things. Mm-hmm. So there are groups there, though 
that is, uh, even though it's very highly respected, that have a lot of people that they're being gang stalked. And they're what you find very commonly referred to as the Truman Show delusion. So the Truman Show delusion is a little bit different from being gang stalked because you feel like you're actually on a television show Right. And everybody's in on it. Right. And they're they're hiding the truth from you. So you don't know, is this your real life or has everything been planned? There's still, still similar levels of harassment mm-hmm. because the individuals feel that they can't trust the experience around them. Yeah. I remember one person in the documentary describing, uh, I forget what he called it, but like everybody on the street were actors and... Did he say that it was like they were mocking him because they were all heterosexual couples, like holding hands and walking and being really yes. happy, and he happened to be a gay man, and it was sort of playing into, like, what could have been an insecurity of his or something like that. There was this whole narrative behind well, what the, the actors I, were doing. It's like they were taunting him with holding hands, being straight couples. Right. And I mean, that particular example, which I thought was just so tragic. Uh, well, there were several examples that were tragic. That one, particularly, I looked at that and I went, that seems to be such a, a shame based motivator as well as like, are you, is there some really deeply held internalized homophobia that is emerging as this delusion. And it's just, and now you found a way to feed it by joining this community that have the similar experience. Sure. But he, the guy just breaks down. I think the, the documentary ends that now the focus of his gang stalking delusion is he's convinced that a fundamentalist Christian church has is, is the source of all his targeting. Right, right. He's figured it out. Yeah. So did you have a crime? Yeah, I want to talk about Randy Quaid. So you mentioned uh, earlier, we're talking about the American actor. He's known for his role as Cousin Eddie, of course, in National Lampoon's movies. Uh, but he he's won a ton of awards. There's been a couple of roles where he's won some BAFTA. It just, he's his work of art is much more deep than I thought it was when I was looking him up today. Um, he's done re- some great stuff. Yeah, reacquaint myself with him. He played LBJ and got uh, a lot of accolades for his his acting in that. But in 2009, Quaid and his wife were arrested, and there's this string of very bizarre behavior that started happening, um, but essentially it kind of kicked off where he and his wife were arrested for allegedly defrauding an innkeeper, which is actually what the penal code section says, you're defrauding an innkeeper, <laughs> um, in Santa Barbara by using an invalid credit card to pay a $10,000 bill. So they get released on bail. They subsequently pay most of the bill. However, they then fail to appear in court for this over and over again, even when warrants are put out for their arrest. Eventually, they do go to court the next year and the case gets dismissed for lack of evidence. So they put all that off for nothing because it gets dismissed anyway. And that's for Randy Quaid. His wife ends up pleading no contest to a misdemeanor count of like fraud, gets probation for three years and has to do some community service. And then later in 2010, he and his wife are charged with burglary after they spend five days essentially squatting in a guest house in a vacant home that they once owned in Santa Barbara. So this is no longer theirs. 
they break in, are occupying the guest house. They claim that the home was wrongfully transferred to a third party by the use of a forged signature. Again, issue warrants for their arrest. They fail to appear in court and end up uh, forfeiting their bail. So after this bizarre behavior that kind of makes the news, they end up fleeing to Canada because she is a dual citizen. And they hold a press conference and say, we're fleeing to Canada because we are quote unquote Hollywood refugees. And there is a group out there that is trying to kill us for our money. So they do this whole press conference where they say that they're being stalked by this group known as the Hollywood star whackers. And I think that was a porn movie, (laughs) right? Made up of what they said were businessmen that knew what they were doing. They're essentially the mafia that this is just straight up organized crime and that they attribute the deaths of Heath Ledger and David Carradine and Chris Penn to the Hollywood star whackers and that all of their deaths were just listed as, you know, overdoses and asphyxiation and what have you, that that's all a fraud. Everybody's in on it. They said that as a, a you know, aside from wanting to have them dead and take their money, that their their phones were being tapped, their computers were being hacked. They were so specific to say that the assassins would actually pose as estate planners so that they could get them to sign their money over to whoever, and then they're going to kill them and assassinate them. So I thought it, <laughs> they they said they had tried to, you know, warn Randy's brother, Dennis, but that he was under mind control to make these terrible movies. But they said that Mel Gibson, Lindsay Lohan, and Britney Spears were also in danger. And I go, wow, what a trifecta to pick wow. because they're a little bit in danger of themselves anyway. <laughs> but yeah, it was. I, do you remember when it was all like, making the news and I do I didn't remember the mind control thing I just remember it getting really crazy and you know with all due respect I mean I think um Mr. Quaid is a very talented actor this feels like substance abuse this feels like really toxic use of stimulants and you know what we call like a substance-induced psychotic disorder you don't just like squat in an empty apartment when you have money, unless you kind of worked yourself into a paranoid delusion. I mean, there's a lot of things that just don't track here, yeah. but I will once again, you know, given sort of like the overarching paradigm that we're discussing, it sounds like he and his, his wife were really stressed. You know, that's well, very stressed. It does. And I, I don't know if I had this conversation with you because, you know, we knew each other at this time, but I feel like talking about this case with someone and saying like, this feels a little folly a ish <laughs> Yeah. Because what, what is going on? They're both in sort of this weird state and buying into it. So, but the, I do remember, the makes sense. I, I do remember a big thing that happened at the very beginning of this time period was nobody, for one thing, nobody expected Brokeback Mountain to be, the cultural phenomenon that it turned out to be. Yep. If you haven't seen it, I'm sure everybody's seen it. I did not see it in the theater for whatever reason. I was like, oh, who cares? I mean, like they're going to screw up the story or whatever. And then I remember Dan being working on maybe I was working out of town on something and I was watching the screener of it and it 
I felt like somebody had punched me um, for so many reasons because it's just an unbelievably well done, beautiful movie that is tragic in its own right. And very small budget. Randy Quaid was in it playing a really great character that was absolutely intrinsic to the storyline. The big scuttle after it was like nobody expected it to be a hugely successful money and make all this money. And he got pissed off that it became this huge moneymaker yeah. and he was doing it for not not a lot of money. Right. He thought he got duped. Essentially, he said that, you know, they told me that it was this artsy cult film. So I took a much lower rate for it. And this whole time, they knew it was going to blow up, and they took me for a ride. He definitely had Well, then that's the delusional thought then, because it was a small movie. I mean, it was a small budget. It's beautiful, but it's also, it's the kind of movie that can be made on a relatively small budget, given sort of the nature of the storyline. But isn't that interesting? Like we talked about, integrating sort of, you know, the, the facts of it being integrated into your delusion. There you go. Yeah. So, oh, thank you. That's a great example. Um, You know, kind of tying it back up here, it uh, goes back to that study and the writings by Dr. Lorraine Sheridan and David, Dr. David James. You know, they conducted the analysis of 128 responses to a survey about stalking that concluded that 100% of the cases involving gang stalking by multiple coordinated individuals reflected nothing more than paranoid delusions. And in contrast, only 4% of those reporting stalking, being stalked by a single individual were being deemed to be, to be delusional. So yeah. did that track? Yes. So, yes, yes. We, okay, we, great. I just want to I'm sure glad that. you went over that again. And so, um, you know, that's interesting. Also looking back that these stats have me reflecting on the Cindy James case again, that there is a small percentage where it's not happening and that it's delusional. Not that in her case, it had to be delusional. You know, we talked about reasons why. Yeah, we have we have our own theory about what happened yeah. there. Or that people still faking fits. their own assaults for certain reasons, but right. Anyway, so wow, yeah. I, I I feel like I'm going to keep doing deep dives into this. Everybody, thank you for. I'm, this is another long episode. Tell us your thoughts. I would love to see some some discussion about this. Um, maybe we can open up like a discussion about it in our upcoming Get Vocal. Please join us for that. Our last Get Vocal was off. The charts <laughs> so with good. the number of people we had, and you—that was up all you. I'm, I'm like bowing in your presence. You coordinated all of that. It was great. I just know how to get people. I know how to you book do. people last minute. Absolutely do. <laughs> well, that was great. Thanks for bringing this topic. I appreciate it. It's I, I love learning about new things and bringing that to our audience. So that I guess is I, all you. Oh, thank you. I One thing I would leave us with that we kind of touched on earlier is if you are a friend or a loved one or a family member of an individual with mental illness, we all need to keep working towards destigmatizing mental illness. And many times people with mental illness will say, I can deal with the illness. It's the stigma and the way I'm treated because of my illness. That's the hardest part. This is a particularly difficult challenge with people who have delusional disorder. Don't You don't have to join in with the delusion. In fact, it's not good to join in with the delusion, and it's not going to work to deny it. Try and hold some compassion for the individual, and you can say, if it's not my experience, it's really hard for me to believe 
but I can tell you're upset and it really worries me that you're upset. So yeah. is there something we can do to make you less upset? I, I think that's great. Also, you know, being honest about how you're feeling about it, some authenticity, if they're seeing that you're struggling to connect with them could probably go a long way. I think it would be, particularly for these people that are so isolated from their families. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All righty. Well, that's our stocking theme for January. <laughs> yeah. We'll probably find another version of it by March. So exactly. Up, people. Right. Well, let's hope that this doesn't become a thing in 2021. Right. Let's the, not. The thing six months from now, we're like, oh, my God, we didn't even know about that. <laughs> now it's everywhere. <laughs> uh, all right, everyone, please join us next time on L.A. Not so confidential. Bye, folks. Good night. sincerely thank you for spending some time with us today. LA Not So Confidential is part of the Crawl Space Media Network and each episode is hosted, produced, and edited by Dr. Scott and Dr. Shiloh. Our music, entitled Cool Vibes Film Noir, is composed and performed by the amazing Kevin McLeod. It's licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution License. Check out his YouTube channel at handle 1HMNC. All of the resources for each episode can be found on our website at www.la-not-so-confidential.com. You can find us on Instagram at LA Not So Podcast, on Twitter at LA Not So Pod, and on Facebook at LA Not So Confidential. Please hit subscribe so you never miss a new episode. Lastly, we'd be honored if you join our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash LA Not So Podcast. Until next time, folks.